0: W.H.C.R. 90.3 FM, New York.
1: I ain't talking about rich. I'm, I'm rich. talking about wealth, wealth,
0: wealth. You are now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show. Your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right. Dollar, 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 that's what I need. Hey, hey, well I need.
2: Sunday, my people of solidified success, welcome to the day that you realize that everything happens for a reason and what you do with what happens will determine your fate. Today's daily word is dedicated to coincidences. Right now, as we speak, you are exactly where you are supposed to be in life. The good, the bad, and the ugly have all worked in your favor to teach you lessons that need to be learned in order to be successful on your journey to greatness. What we need to understand and believe is that there are no coincidences in life. Your life is a product of your thoughts and actions, and as you visualize what you want, the universe will conspire to give you just that, Stop worrying about things that are within your control. May today be the day that you find peace within. Trust the process and never forget that you were born with infinite possibilities. Your life is a gift given to you by your higher power. How you use and cherish that gift will determine your appreciation. Use your powers wisely and make your life, great. I'll leave you with a couple of quotes in the first one's by Delia Parr, and it says, there are no real coincidences in life for those with faith strong enough to recognize coincidence for what they are. Intricate pieces of divine intervention designed specifically for each of our lives. Next quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it says, once you make a decision... The universe conspires to make it happen. And last but not least, by J. Cole. And it says, everything happens for a reason. You are exactly who you need to be in this moment. You are exactly where you need to be. Stop wishing it was different and speaking about being where you supposed to be we got I, I, I didn't know how to do the transition but we have the four foot eleven marketing maven in the building Mr. Seema Jones I thought you were
3: gonna say speaking about being different I'm a little different I think we all have our differences
2: I was gonna say that but I you know but it didn't really flow it didn't really too flow well. I was uh, like, oh, okay, I go with it okay. I was like you
3: know okay so you know being, well yeah. for today yes um, first of all, welcome back. We weren't here last Sunday, yes, right? and I was kind of like I missed it. you guys. So welcome back. Um, you were here?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because because our board op does uh, have another show after this one, so he was here. He was
3: here, but we yeah, weren't. Yeah, but we weren't, and, and we you were guys relaxing. were
2: missed. Oh, we, had, we had a good time too, being <laughs> okay. off, relaxing while you wow. was at work. Okay, Ash. Okay, so for brand brand new money, I actually wanted to talk about fonts.
3: I'm kind of weird when it comes to fonts. F-O-N-T-S. Fonts. Like, one of my favorite fonts is Helvetica. Like, I totally watched an entire a documentary on it. Um, and I, when I should you, have said different.
2: I should have used different. <laughs> different. I, that would have been a good transition. Yes.
3: Right. Well, we have to understand that aesthetically we are trying to woo our consumer. And in branding, it's so important to really appeal to your audience. And from the slightest thing as a font to the different colors that we use, we are all, we're, we're hitting these different levels of sensory when it comes to who we are trying to attract. So we have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful of the presentation that we give out there's so many different marketing tools literally there are studies that are done on people and their brain and their feelings when it comes to marketing. So keep in mind when you are packaging and creating um, your different products and services, remember to be very selective as to how you choose to present that. Um, do a little bit of research as to who is attracted to what and understand that everything from colors and smells, these things all add up to your marketing um, and to your branding. So yeah, just be mindful of that. No, absolutely. <laughs> and,
2: and that's important though, because uh, when you think about brands and you think about you know what stands out for for people, uh, you know, fonts do do make you know make the big difference because uh, the difference between people noticing your brand and not noticing your brand, um, recognizing that this is something that's part of your brand is how consistent you are as it relates to fonts.
3: Definitely. So, yeah. And when you look at different companies, you can notice when you go s- supermarket and yep. it's shop- shopping, There's if the white can with mm-hmm. the black letters is probably not as attractive as the green and, and yellow can. So all of those things make a difference and all of those things say something about your brand.
2: Absolutely. But but definitely the white can with the black letters <laughs> is for the broke people. And then exactly. when you go to the colors. I mean, it says you go, something. Yeah, you go, you go to the other some type side from broke to, and, and speaking of broke. <laughs> right. Uh, we have an excited <laughs> guest uh, in the building today. Uh, we have Erin uh, Lowry here, uh, author of Broke Millennial. And we're going to bring her on in just a second. Uh, we want to talk about her journey. We want to talk about her new book. We want to talk about, you know, how do you make that transition from, from scrapping, from, you know, you know, living on a on a dollar and 15 cents to, uh, you know. And what
3: that. is actually
2: broke? I don't mm. think a
3: lot of people even know.
2: Oh, I like
0: that. Right. I like that. So we're going right, to get cool. all
2: the answers today. All right. So we're going to take a quick music <laughs> break and we'll be back. This is Ash
0: Cash, Mr. Shima. Joe's Ash Cash Show. You are now tuned in to The Ash Cash Show. Your number one source for financial motivation. Um, Get your mind and your money right.
1: Are you tired of having money issues? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you make enough money but still don't know where your money
2: is going? Well, Mind Right, Money Right, 10 Laws of Financial Freedom by Ash Cash is available now. A simple yet detailed guide on how to retrain your mind in order to gain control over your finances. Pick up your copy today so you can become financially free. Available now on Amazon.com for the low price of 99 cents on Kindle and 9 dollars for paperback. We are back, to Ash Cash Show, every Sunday, 1 p.m., WACR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem with Ash Cash and Mr. Seema Jones. So I'm excited about the guests that we have with us today. We have Erin Lowry in the building. She is a millennial personal finance expert and the founder of BrokeMillennial.com. She is also the author of the forthcoming book, Broke Millennial, How to Stop Scraping by and get your financial life together. Lowry has contributed to Forbes, Business Insider, uh, New York Magazine's The Cut, and U.S. News and World Report. Some of, of, of her uh, her insights have been featured by outlets, including CNBC, CBS Sunday Morning, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Marketplace Money. Lowry lives in New York City with her spunky rescue dog, Mosby. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Miss Aaron. Wow. Woo-hoo! All right, Eric. Appreciate you for uh, you know being our guest because this is a, a topic that is so dear to our our hearts, especially uh, for millennials um, who are still trying to figure out their way. Um, and so I love the topic of you know being a broke millennial, and especially we're in New York City, so especially in New York City, being a broke millennial and having that transition. But before we we we, we jump into the book and and find out what, what your inspiration for writing it, talk to us about your website, brokemillennial.com, and just Talk to us about you, your journey. How did you How did you become a millennial personal finance expert? Give, give us give us everything.
4: Oh, that's a tall order. Yes. <laughs> so you cut me off whenever you need to because mm. I can be quite verbose. <laughs> but for me, it really all started when I was seven. So the very short version of this story is that my parents never handed me money as a kid. Mm. So if my sister and I wanted something, we had to get the money to pay for it. Now, when you're seven... Your opportunities to earn income are quite limited. So my friendship bracelet-making business had gone bust. Mm -hmm. No one was buying them on the playground anymore. And I occasionally would get money from cat-sitting this demonic cat that lived next door, but the neighbors only go out of town every once in a while. So I was trying to be entrepreneurial and figure out how can I make more money. My mom was having a yard sale. Mm. So this was a hot summer morning in North Carolina, and my dad had agreed to stake my business. And I had asked him to go to Krispy Kreme and buy several dozen donuts and bring them back so I could sell them. Lo and behold, sell out really fast. I tapped my little sister, who was this four year old with these huge blue eyes and like barely any hair, and it was just super adorable. We got people to buy all of our donuts. So at the end, I've got like 20 bucks worth of quarters on this Fisher Price table. And my dad walks over and he goes, Okay. So I bought you the donuts, and that cost $8, and your little sister worked for you for a little bit, and that cost $2, so your net profit is $10. Mm. And then he took the money. Mm. And that was my first experience with finance. And from then on, my parents were laying all of this groundwork for how to talk about money, and it was never stressful, it was never taboo. So when I was making college decisions, I went where I got scholarship money so I could come out debt-free. And when I was trying to figure out how to survive in New York City on $23,000 my first year, it wasn't as bad as it could have been because my parents talked to me so much about money Mm. and to me that seemed normal because what you grow up around is normal to you and i did not realize until those early years in new york city that a lot of people even people who come from very comfortable backgrounds Mm. are super stressed about money and that's why i started broke millennial and it's a place where i tell stories primarily i think that's the best way to talk to people about money Mm. because you don't want to get lectured, you don't want the finger wagging, you want to hear a story. Right. And I, I joke that I trick people into learning about money. Nice, nice, nice.
3: Awesome. So my question is, how important is having that influence from the family when it comes to finances? Because like you mentioned, your parents were very helpful. What does that do to a child, you know, growing up and how they view money?
4: I think we are learning about money from the moment we first start hearing about it. It's, we're getting these imprints, I like to say, on our psyche about how finances are handled. And it can be as simple as you asking your parents, how much do you make? Mm. And if your parent says that's none of your business, Mm. the message you just received was, this is a taboo topic. I shouldn't be talking about it. And then you're also getting imprints from your friends. You're hearing things like, oh, you're comparing what you have and what you wear and the shoes you wear and the clothes you own to what your friends have. And maybe it's better and that makes you self-conscious. Maybe it's not as nice and that makes you self-conscious. Maybe a friend of yours asks, you know, how much allowance do you get? And because you heard your parents say to you, that's none of your business, you turn and say to your friend, that's none of your business. Mm. So we're getting all of these messages at such an early age. And I think one of the best lessons that a parent can give a child is to start openly talking about money. Now, you might not want to tell your kid what your salary is, and I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. But what you can try to do is maybe break down a family budget. Maybe you talk about what money does for the family, how you earn that money, you know, Simulate going to the grocery store, writing out a list saying, your budget is $100 to feed the family for this week, so let's see what we can actually get going to the grocery store. Bring them in as part of the family. As opposed to I'm making all the decisions and this is none of your business, because Mm. if that's the lesson that a child is getting by the time they get into the real world and have to handle their own money, they have no information Mm. about how to do it.
2: But but what happens, right, what happens when that child who was told is none of your business, who was, um, you know, put in that situation? um, How do you begin that process of retraining the brain um, to now realize that money isn't a taboo, uh, you know, topic?
4: So that is one of the things I dig into immediately in the book, because I think it's point number one. Money is not rational. Money is emotional. We're Mm. making our decisions based on our feelings. Even those of us who are experts in talking about money, we still make completely irrational financial decisions sometimes for for money. Mm -hmm. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I
2: had enough time. I looked at the transit app and I had enough time to take the bus. But I was like, I'll take a bus. <laughs> I just took an Uber. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I
4: Mizzou took an Uber. Uber pool. And we all yeah. make those kind of choices. <laughs> and I think part of the first thing when you're trying to retrain your brain, maybe you're 25 and you've kind of just gotten out of college or what have you and you're, you're figuring things out. I think one of the first steps is to kind of go back into your psyche and realize what that relationship is that you have to money and why it's there. Mm, I think first you have to address the why. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to go back and reflect on what messages did I receive about money as a kid? What are my earliest memories of money? How does money make me feel? Has money always made me feel this way? If you feel tense, Mm. if the idea of looking at your bank account makes your stomach drop out, Mm. mm, try to be thinking about the why behind that. And then the next step, once you've kind of thought through some of your psychological blocks, is to start creating an action plan Mm. to start figuring out, okay, this is why I feel this way here's how I can get to feeling good. You need to set those goals. And it shouldn't just be those long-term goals. You gotta think short-term, medium-term, and Mm long-term goals. Think about something you can be doing every month for the next six months to better your situation and not just thinking, hey, I wanna be a millionaire by the time I retire. Mm -hmm. You gotta Mm -hmm. think short-term to get to those long-term goals. And
2: I love that because um, a lot of times, you know, we know, right, like when when I sit with people, um, you know, they have an idea that they need to be managing their, their, their money better, you might give them a plan, But like you said, if you don't dig into that, why, if you don't understand sort of like where your money messages came from in the beginning or why do you even think about money in in a certain way, if you don't kind of dig into that, uh, it's going to be hard to move forward because what's going to happen is that you're going to begin this plan, begin this process, but then you're going to wind up going back uh, to the same habits because you haven't really mm. disrupted that that thought process, um, and so you know you know brokemillennial dot com you, you you have you have your your new book um, you know what what are what are some exciting things or what are some things that you have learned from people you have worked with your readers um, that that that. Normal people, not normal people, but people who aren't in personal finances, would be like, "Wow, I didn't even realize that." Like any any interesting aha moments with working with people mm-hmm. and and talking to them about their money.
4: That's a great question. I would say one of my favorite things to discover is how differently we all think about money. Mm-hmm. And I think that so often you get advice from personal finance experts that say this is the right way mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And listen, there's always going to be a mathematically correct way to do something. I will not disagree with that. But just because it's the mathematically right way does not mean it's the way that everybody is going to do it. And so I think part of my process and something I learned from interacting with more people is that, okay, first of all, you're going to fail. Right. Everybody fails when it comes to money sooner or later. And so if the first budget that you use just blew up in your face... Pivot, try something else. I think so often we just give up. And to me, I always liken it to health. You know, if the first thing you try is a CrossFit workout class Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm walking home and crawling and falling into the fetal position and crying myself into a, you know, a stupor, because I've actually been there. (laughs) I like crawled home and just (laughs) fell into the fetal position, couldn't even take my shirt off. I was so sore. That was not the right workout for me. But, hey, maybe yoga is your thing. Absolutely. You know, learn how to change and pivot. And the same thing goes with money. There are so many different ways to do everything when it comes to finances. So find what works for you and what works for your parents, your friends, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend might not be mm-hmm. what's right for you. And you have to figure that out for yourself.
2: No, that's a great point because, I, you know, I remember... Uh, myself you know starting out in this in this uh, personal finance space and i used to you know study the others the greats the people who were out there um, and and a lot of times i would listen to their advice and i am like uh i wouldn't do it that way or uh that's not true or, uh you know and then and i realized it i realized that you know personal finance there's just so many different ways um, to attack your personal finances and, and and as you mentioned earlier um you know finance it, it's, it's it's especially personal finance right the key word is personal, Definitely. Mm-hmm. and that it's about you first and foremost. And 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 there's so many different variations of getting to the right, the, the same destination, right? If the destination, let's say, is financial freedom and not being able to uh, have to scrap and 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 to have that, um, you know, uh, that freedom to 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 manage your money the right way, quote unquote. Um, that's the destination but but depending on who you are there are different ways to actually get there um so I love you know I love that 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 it, it is um uh, you know not one size fits all. You know, as it relates to, you know, personal uh, personal finances. Uh, and
3: and to piggyback on what you said earlier, you have to understand your why when it comes to your money. You know, so it's it's like if my why is totally different from the next person's, then the way that I get to that same place will be different, simply because I'm just wired differently. Um so that's really, really refreshing for you to say that because I think for such a long time when it came to finances, it was all about money, it was all about the math, it was all about the numbers, it was all about these investments. And what, where to put your money? But the root of it is how you see money and your money mentality and a relationship that you have with it. So it's super, like, very, very refreshing. Very and and on top of that, for us to be able, well, for you to be able to give that message to millennials, where it's like you grow up in your household, you go off to college, and then you're bombarded with credit cards and all of these, all of those financial decisions you have to make. Coming straight out of your home, it's like, if you weren't taught those things, how do you manage when you're on campus? How do you manage when you're an adult and you have children and you have a family? Mm -hmm. So we want to talk more about broke millennials. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break, right? And when we come back, we'll have more. This is the Ash Cash Show on 90.3. New York, the voice of Harlem. You're
0: now tuned into the financial motivator himself, Ash Cash, Mr. Mind Right Money Right. We are back Money to
2: Ash Cash Money show every Sunday, 1 p.m. W H C R 90.3 F M, New York. The, Ash, I, 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 the, voice, of the voice of Harlem. Like, i I know I was missing something.
3: I'm like, what are I got to say after that? Uh, you Can't take any more breaks. But Ash. No, but here, here's
2: what it is, right? It's Sunday. I don't know if you believe in the, in, in 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 astrology, but it's Mercury retrograde, so that's why I, you don't know about Mercury. Okay, so it's Mercury. Mercury retrograde is when everything communication goes haywire. So it started, I believe, I forget in, in April, and it ends May six. So it's
3: and he's been uh, talking craziness. about it since then. Yeah,
2: so it's Mercury retrograde. So all right, but we are back with with Miss Erin, <laughs> uh, the author of Broke Millennial. And so we want to dive in a little bit uh, into into uh, the book, right? Like, how do you Go from being a broke millennial And how do you stop scraping um, And get your financial life in order But I want to talk about millennials specifically Because you know, as an older millennial As an OG millennial As I like to call myself um, I know that millennials uh, Have a different way Of managing money As it relates to their older generational counterparts So Generation X Baby boomers And we'll, we'll just leave it at those two um, And so w- w- why do you think That millennials manage their money the way they manage their money um, compared to the other the other generations.
4: I think the big thing for us is that it's all digital Mm. and that we can go days, weeks, months without ever physically touching paper currency Mm, or coins. And so the fact that it's almost got this monopoly money type status Mm. to a lot of millennials, and then you couple that with the fact that a lot of people are graduating with crazy amounts of student loan debt. The stat is in 2016, the average graduate walked with $37,000 of student loan debt. So I know quite a few millennials who already feel like, hey, I'm this deep in the hole, what's a little more? And I think that part of that is that because it's digital, because we're not interacting with it on a regular basis, it's easy to just kind of not think about it. Mm. And just think about how often it is that you're swiping a credit card. And at the end of the month, that bill comes in, you're like, whoa, Mm. I did not remember spending this much money. And there is so many ways that that's very easy to happen to Millennials and certainly our parents generations dealt with something a little bit similar but to us I think that we can kind of isolate and almost compartmentalize our financial lives down to this point where we never even see it
2: right right no that's a great point that's a great point point. and, and, and how, how, what's a what's a good way um, you know I guess to try to break that or, or, or a good way to um, not fall that down that that space of, of just you know being digital and, and allowing because yeah you know, I believe technology could be the gift and the curse right technology uh, could really help you manage your, your finances better but like you mentioned uh, it can also be a you know uh, uh, hinder you or also put you know pigeonhole you or allow you uh, to ma- not manage your, your money the way you w- you should manage your money um, so what are some ways you can use technology um, to help you or not not even technology how do you get out of that space of I
3: wanted to add something to that. Sometimes I feel like if I don't have cash, I'll spend less. Mm. So I try to use it to my advantage in that way. But what do you recommend? Do you recommend some on hand? How, how, How should we go about that?
4: So, it totally depends on where you are in your financial process. Mm. So, I'm going to back up to you need to totally get it together. Mm. You are at zero. Mm. So, what I like people to do is first and foremost, try a cash diet mm. and couple that with I call it tracking every penny. Mm-hmm. So for a month, I want you to only spend in cash. Now, obviously, I get we live in a digital world. So things like paying your bills online, that all has to happen online. But the amount that you would be spending going to the grocery store, going out to anything entertainment-based, anything that's day-to-day purchases, that needs to be done in cash. Mm. And you need to have a set amount that you are locked into and you cannot spend above that. Mm. Because when you see that dwindling in your wallet, you're like, oh, I started the week with $200 and it's Thursday and I'm down to 30 Yikes. It, it clicks something for you. And the other big perk of tracking every penny, and what I mean by that is every time you make a purchase, you write down how much it was and what you spent it on. The what is really important here because tracking every penny, I'd say do it for a week, two weeks is even better. And then you go back through and you see where potential mindless spending is happening. Mm-hmm. Places that you were like, I'm spending $25 a week buying bottled water. Why is that happening? So little tweaks like that, and that Mm -hmm. can kind of open your eyes to where you're actually putting your money. So that's people at sort of that one-on-one, really just trying to get it together level. Now, for people who have it a little bit more together and they want to use technology more to their advantage... One of the things I really love is how easily it is to get alerts Mm -hmm. on your finances. So whether it's your credit card, debit card, bank account, I don't care what it is, everything should have an alert on it. Mm So every time you do a transaction on your credit card, I want your phone to light up and tell you exactly how much it was Mm -hmm. and exactly what it was on. Mm -hmm. This also really helps with identity theft Mm -hmm. because you can get alerted right away if somebody's making a charge using your cards Mm -hmm. that you did not obviously authorize. Mm -hmm. And then the other perk is you can be getting daily updates Like, hey, you have $900 that you've spent on, you know, X, Y, Z credit card. Do you remember that? (laughs) So, and then my last piece of advice, and this is something that I do, I I set up alerts on everything, but every Sunday I take 15 minutes to check in on everything. So I log into, not necessarily my investments, that's usually a once a month thing, Mm -hmm. but I log into my checking, my savings, and every single credit card I own and check and make sure there are no surprises, Mm -hmm. that there was like oh, you took an Uber three times this week and you forgot about it. So all of a sudden you're at like a $75 charge that you forgot you didn't budget for. And some of the times I even pay my credit cards off throughout the week Mm -hmm. because that way what's in my checking account is accurately reflecting how much I actually have left to spend. That's Mm
3: -hmm. great. Instead of waiting until the end of the month. Wow, that's pretty cool. So no
2: surprises. Nice, nice, nice. And I love that. I I have to... uh, maybe attack that that yeah. way. Because, because lately I've been uh, I've been taking a lot of Ubers and I know my <laughs> Uber bill is going to be astronomical. But, I mean.
3: And that that really works well. I think for me I know Every time that due date comes up, there is a little bit of anxiety, not because the cash isn't there, but it's just that I have to let the cash go. Right. Mm-hmm. So doing it on a regular basis more often is definitely helpful. And it kind of eases that pressure of doing one lump sum mm. versus the amount that you are spending. That's really, really great. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's let's dig in. Right. So um, first. Why a book? Why did you, you know, you you have you have this, the website. Uh, you have people coming to the website. You, you know, you have a great following. Why write a book?
4: One, because I always wanted to, mm. even <laughs> as a little kid. Yep. I never thought it would be about money, but I always wanted to write a book. Yep. So part of it is just fulfilling that childhood dream, yep. undoubtedly. But I think the big part is that a book has a different accountability factor than a blog. Mm. If you go to my website, it's easy to search. It's easy to look around on things. But if you're holding my book in your hands, you can so easily flip from chapter to chapter. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage readers to do that. The book is written as a pick your own financial path twist. Mm-hmm. And, nice. you know, we were talking earlier about a personal finance is personal. Mm-hmm. And I present so many different options for you in this book. I'm not saying there is one end all and be all way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, hey, if this is your situation, maybe go to chapter five and mm-hmm. learn how to pick better, better financial products or, hey, you've jumped to chapter 10 and you're thinking about investing, well, have you gone back to chapter four and learned how to budget? Mm. So I think that when you have a book in front of you, it makes it easier to hold yourself accountable. It makes it certainly easier to flip around and look for the information that you need. Mm -hmm. And it also was just, I wanted to write a book. That's what it comes back to as well. But I I love what you just said about,
2: um, you know, picking your own financial path. um, Because again, you know, I just I just I just love it because at at one point uh, in this personal finance space. Uh, It was hey this is the way You do it this is how you follow this Path Um, you know fast shout Out to the Susie Ormans and The Dave Ramseys of the world but You know they had their specific philosophies And it was like this is the way you do it Um, And you know even like Robert Kiyosaki you know as he was taught you know Rich Dad Poor Dad I remember reading Rich Dad Poor Dad um, and he Was talking about you know becoming a Homeowner and how that was a liability And I was like yeah But you know like um, and so I love it that uh, there is uh, this different path, that it it isn't all, you know, one size fits all. And so what would your advice be um, to those who have nine to fives and those who maybe are freelancers or those who are maybe full-time entrepreneurs? Do they manage or, or are they supposed to manage their money to the same? Or, you know, what advice would you have for those type of folks?
4: They absolutely should not be managing their money the same. And I do try because I've gone from being a traditional 9-to-5 employee to one that was having a side hustle to now one that's a full-time freelancer. So I've kind of experienced that evolution. Mm-hmm. And I really wrote to it in the book. There are certain chapters that I really do kind of hone in on. Hey, negotiating is a great chapter that's a good example of this. If you're negotiating as a traditional employee versus a freelancer, it's totally different things mm-hmm. as well as it's going to have bigger impacts. If you're a freelancer, you really need to know how to negotiate yeah. well and how to know, learn how to you know set your worth. Mm-hmm. And if you're a nine-to-five employee also very important but you have far more cushion yep. and things like if you're a freelancer the way you need to be saving mm-hmm. or an entrepreneur the way you need to be saving is totally different than if you have that steady paycheck now both people need to have emergency funds mm-hmm. a freelancer should have a bigger emergency fund mm-hmm. you know a freelancer needs to be thinking about more than hey if I get fired tomorrow and I have to search for another job mm-hmm. it could be like hey I go through a down month for four months what yep. is that going to be for me mm-hmm. and a freelancer also has to be paying for their own benefits mm-hmm. you you know, they are. They wear all the hats. They might need to figure out how to outsource certain things. And they need to, I advocate, if you're a freelancer, you save 40% of every paycheck you get. Mm. You put that into a separate savings account that is for Uncle Sam, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people forget to save for taxes. And then the reason I say 40%, the advice is typically 30. Mm -hmm. I say 40 because one, we live in New York City, so we also have to pay state and city tax. Mm -hmm. I think people forget about certain things like that, but also leftovers in that account can go into your retirement fund. Mm. So it's money that's kind of an automatic savings for retirement as well. Yeah.
2: And that's a great point. Like Like I was talking to, to someone uh, recently, full-time entrepreneur made um, decent amount of money as an entrepreneur, and was like, you know, it was you know, recently tax time. They were like, they owe they owe the IRS forty grand. Wow! And I was like, forty grand! Like, wow. did you not pay That's nothing? Somebody's
3: salary. And they were
2: like, <laughs> they they didn't pay anything. They wow. made they made good money. But they didn't put anything aside. They I mean they, you know, they, they're gonna figure it out, you know. Right. But they but the tax bill was forty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, and that's true because when you think when when you're when you work nine to five, you know, your your employer is taking that money for you. So mm-hmm. you're not even seeing that money. But when you work as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you see all of the money and the responsibility and the onus is on you. And I know, you know, for me personally, I remember being a full-time entrepreneur, um, you know, getting all of the money, and I'm like, I'm not putting this money aside, right, because I need this to make more, you know. So uh, definitely that, that, is, that is, you know, great, you know, uh, great advice. And so um, another question that I have, because I know that uh, traditionally uh, many personal finance experts say, um, as it relates to paying down debt and credit cards, um, that you should take the credit card that has the highest interest rate and pay that off first. But then some others say, forget the interest rate, take the one that has the uh, go from lowest balance to highest balance and pay the lowest one first. What say you? I always want to say, what say you?
0: <laughs> that's, like, that's, like a, that's like a court
2: thing. That's like a law, law thing. What say you, Madam President? Just, Ooh,
4: yeah. wow. I just got a big inflated title. <laughs> I say you do whatever is going to actually make you pay off the debt.
0: Mm, hmm. Okay.
4: So what frustrates me about the difference between these two things is people get so evangelical about this is the right hmm. way or this is the right way. There is the mathematically correct way to do it, which is debt avalanche. Undoubtedly, that is going to save you the most money. Mm-hmm if you actually do it. Debt snowball is going to cost you a little bit more money in the long run because of the interest rates, because you're focusing not on the interest rate that's highest, you're focusing on the amount that's lowest. And so break down
2: debt avalanche for me.
4: So debt avalanche, which is the mathematically correct way to do it, is like you just mentioned, you are writing a list of your debts from interest rate that's the highest to interest rates that's the lowest. Mm -hmm. And you're not paying attention to the total balance of the debt. You're Mm -hmm. focusing just on the interest rate. Mm -hmm. And then you chip away at that highest interest rate first. Now, it's important to note, you're still paying the minimums due on everything. Okay. You don't want to miss a payment on anything, but any surplus money that you have, that extra little bit that you might find in your budget because, you know, you nix that water bottle buying habit that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, no, yeah. you put that extra little bit to the highest debt, the highest interest rate debt. Now, debt snowball, instead of focusing on mathematically the right way, we focus on the, I call it, makes my brain happy way, mm, okay. where you write it from balance that's the lowest to balance that's the highest. You are paying no attention to the interest rates. And the reason we do this is because the balance that's the lowest will be easiest for you to pay off. Mm-hmm. And once you pay that off, you get that little endorphin rush like, yeah. hey, I paid off some debt. Right. I'm going to keep going. And it encourages people to keep moving along. People that are totally rational human beings who look at it mathematically, debt avalanche is absolutely the way to go. Mm -hmm. That will probably encourage you to stay on target because you're thinking, hey, I'm saving the most money doing it this way. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Most of us are not wired that way. Right, absolutely. I
2: agree. (laughs) I'm a snowball kind of guy.
4: Right. For those of us who are like, I just want to win, man. This is taking too long. Debt snowball is your method. And the problem is that people do get very fanatical about this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. I don't care which way you do it as long as you pay off your debt. Absolutely, Whatever way is going to get you there mm-hmm. is the way I want you to focus. And maybe you try Debt Avalanche first and you fail epically mm-hmm. in the beginning. And so switch to Debt Snowball and see if that works for you. And the other thing I would recommend doing this can be a little touchy for people because it means talking money with someone else, but mm-hmm. think about having an accountability partner.
2: Oh, I love that. Absolutely. absolutely. And, 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 and talk about the, imp- I think that's really important. Talk about the importance of, of an accountability partner.
4: So whether this is a coach that you are actually paying to help you monitor your money or a buddy of yours who's in a similar financial situation, it's somebody that's going to keep you on task. Mm-hmm. It's somebody you have to check in with. Maybe you do it weekly, monthly. I don't care what it is, but you want some sort of regular method to be updating each other, share your wins, share your failures, and it's a cheerleader that's in your corner that's just encouraging you to keep pushing to be better with your money
2: man i love it i love it i, I love know. it broke millennial in store when is it when is it available
4: it, it hits shelves may 2nd but you nice. can pre-order right now on amazon barnes and noble hudson books indie wherever books are sold you awesome. can find it nice Yay. nice
2: nice nice
3: i did have one question about Millennial. Yes. okay so do you go based on age range or where people may be in their lives when it comes to finances in Broke Millennial? like How is it it segmented for different people?
4: So it is structured. Every chapter stands on its own. So you do not have to read it cover to cover. The first chapter is telling you why you should listen to me in the first place. I kind of lure you in with a little (laughs) bit of a story and explain, hey, this is who I am. Give my background a little bit. And then the first two chapters move into kind of Creating an understanding of language that we're going to use throughout this book. We talk about those psychological blocks. And in chapter three, we talk a little bit about just some basic money terms and formulas just so that we're all speaking the same language. But after chapter three, I encourage you to start jumping around. Mm. It really isn't just for millennials. The reason I call it Broke Millennial is I am a millennial. I wrote it towards millennials. It's written with, you know, one of the chapters is called, is money a Tinder date or marriage material? Uh, I mean, oh I'm using nice. slang. Tinder. Running.
2: Yo, cash yeah. out the Tinder. That's it really? For, for those who use it. Really I, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. Carry on. <laughs> I'm just saying, for those who use it, cash out. Let me, I'm, I'm joking.
4: So I just think that. Do you know what you know about
2: tennis? No. Hold on, hold on, hold on, what? hold on. How? Hold, hold on. Anyway. Christian
4: Mingle maybe Anyway. You, but. <laughs> We're just saving all the sides. Plenty right, of fish, right, okay. right? Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one oh even around? I, I don't know. <laughs> know. Bumble, hinge. Right. The, that's Black what my people meet. Really? I don't dig thoroughly into dating apps despite this part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. while it is mentioned that, you know, millennials are kind of the focus point, and I touch on things like student loans, you know, how to handle student loans and having a full-on panic attack is mm-hmm. an entire chapter because mm-hmm. that's not really written about in a lot of personal finance right. books because they're written by older people. That wasn't a pain point for those generations. But... I say that no matter your age, you can pick this book up and learn something. And if you've already got the basis of your financial life together, then just start skipping to later chapters. I talk about how to negotiate, how to talk you know, money with your partner, nice. talk money with your friends, nice. how to invest, save for retirement, buy a house, hire a financial planner. These are all different chapters. So my dream is that you kind of get this as a college graduation gift. Yep. The first you know, seven chapters take you through the basics. You put it down for a little while. You get your life together a little bit. You get in a relationship and you realize, oh, I need to go back to that. You talk about how to get financially naked with your partner. Nice, nice. You learn how to invest. You know, it takes you through the whole gambit of really the beginnings of your financial journey. Nice. Awesome. I
2: love it. I love it. it. Uh, And so if people wanted to connect with you, uh, where can they find you?
4: Well, you can always go to BrokeMillennial.com. You can find me on Twitter at BrokeMillennial, Instagram at BrokeMillennialBlog, Facebook at BrokeMillennial, or you can email me directly Uh at Erin, E-R-I-N. At BrokeMillennial.com if you have a question. All right, awesome. there we have
2: it. Erin Lowry, uh, author of broke, Mi- author of the best selling New York Times <laughs> yeah. book.
4: Oh, let's hope.
2: Broke Millennial, uh, and, you and can your definitely- cover is awesome. Oh right? yeah, we love it. We love it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it's awesome. Make sure you check her out. BrokeMillennial.com. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause. Woo Miss Erin. All right, we're going gonna to take a quick music break And when we come back We are coming back with the Ask Ash Cash segment of the show This is Ash Cash, Mr. Shima Jones The Ash Cash Show
0: Welcome to Ask Ash Cash You have questions He has an answer Ask Ash Cash
2: How can
1: I get out of debt? Is this a good time, good to, time to, buy a to buy a house? What's
2: a good
3: credit score? It's a k
1: Yo Who's Dow Joe? Joe,
0: Joe, Joe,
3: Joe? We are back. The Ash Cash Show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem. And as you just heard, uh, this segment is where we ask Ash Cash a few questions. And the question for today is from a freshman in college who says, Ooh. should I get a credit card now or later?
2: Oh, man, I love that question. So um, I've spoken to many people who work within colleges, and they always kind of advise against getting credit cards as a college student. Um, And I say – The reason why they, they, you know, um, advise against it is because they remember, you know, how they were in college and they know that they spend ridiculously and it got them into debt and it got them into trouble and things of that nature. But um, I think times have changed and uh, there is so much information now about how to properly manage your credit that not having a credit card, it will negatively impact you in the long run. And and this is what I mean by it, right? Um, Is that when you look at your credit score, it's broken down into five categories. 35, 30, 15, 10, 10. 35% of your score uh, is based on your payment history. 30% of your score is your usage ratio. 15% of your score is based on the length of credit history, meaning how long you had credit. 10% is your credit mix, the different type of credit you had. And 10% is, is based on any new credit that you have. So If you look at those five categories, credit cards um, or any revolving line of credit account for 30%. Right, So that 30% usage ratio is only based on credit cards and lines of credit, which means that if you only have loans and you have no credit cards, mm. you are only activating 70% of your score. So you, you're you not even starting off with being able to get the best possible score that you can get because it's only being based on 70%. So if you have a, a 600 and you're like, I never paid anything late, how, how is it that I have, I have a 600? That's because you don't have... A line of credit. You don't have a credit card. Um, granted, I may not want you to apply for a credit card. Maybe I'll say, you know, start off with a with a secured card. You know, take a hundred dollars that you that you uh, may not necessarily need. Send that over to a bank that offers secure credit cards. Give them that hundred dollars. They give you back a hundred dollar credit card. And now you say, I'm only going to use thirty dollars of that credit card because I want to use thirty percent of, of of that in order to keep my my score good. But at the you know the you definitely without a shadow of a doubt, Need some type of credit card or revolving line of credit. Maybe it's not a maybe it's not a credit card, but some type of revolving line of credit, which means that as you use the money, the money is available available to you again. Uh, you know, I definitely encourage that. I think it's important that you do that uh, because that is going to activate 100% of your score, and that's going to give you the best opportunity to get to that 700, that 720, that 800. Um, and as we know, in order to get the best rates, you need a, sw- a 720 or above. Uh, so definitely, um, you know, make sure you you, you, you get a credit card. One, and I'm
1: oh, so happy. I have, a, I have a question. Okay, go Some, ahead. One, one small question. In, in just replying an axiom what he was saying. But being that like a person's not in school, say that a person right. who's grew up around family members who abuse credit, who was always in debt, and you're a person that buys cars and certain things cash and you're used to buying stuff with cash. Even though you've heard people say, oh, your first house you can't buy all cash. You still have it in the back of your mind. You don't want to, you know, get credit and, and, and abuse it in certain ways because you know how money can, you know, run up. What would you say to that person who's not in school mm-hmm. but who also wants to buy everything cash? He's a dick to buying everything cash cars bikes and eventually a house and buildings
2: and yep and so that's, that's a great question because there there are more people that think that way than we than we even realize right mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who don't go to go to banks who keep money under the mattress and you know they they don't you know they buy everything cash if they don't have it they're, they're not used to that system um, and so what hap- what's happening with that though is that uh, that person is um, sort of um, Uh, locking themselves out of that mainstream system if they need Again, to buy a house, uh, if they need to to finance something bigger in the future, uh, even from a business perspective, if somebody wants to become a business owner um, and may need uh, you know business financing, a lot of a lot of banks, a lot of places they're looking at your personal lo- your personal credit uh, in order to 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 give you that. Um, even when you become a homeowner, if you even if you have the cash to buy a home in cash, right? When you get home ins- home homeowners insurance, even when you drive a car, the person who's buying cash for the car. Your uh, auto insurance is based on your credit, based on what, what your credit rating is. So I would say to that person that I don't want them to go into debt, you know, in, in order to get into the system, but figure out how can you get into the system using cash um, and, and and allowing that to actually help you because they're actually better off. So, for instance, if uh, someone who can pay cash for something, you know, maybe you take it out on credit, but then maybe you, you leave that cash, you know, in an account and you pay it, you know, you you keep paying it off. So that way um, it, it's showing that you, you have a, a credit worthiness. You're building credit history because what happens is, if you're only using cash for everything, even if you have good intentions, no one's going to lend to you because they don't, you do, You haven't built a history. And no I, one knows if you are going to pay back or not. So.
3: And just to add to that, I feel like we have to look at the credit situation as a credit game versus something that's taken away from us. I think when you have a positive perspective of what credit is is you'll know how to play the game and you know how to win because there are certain times where you might not have to use all of your cash to pay something off or to get something. So and then if, even if you want to, you know, open up a business or whatever the case may be, you have that option by playing with other people's money. So I think the perspective we have to take is not the negative perspective of how we may have grown up, but the positive perspective when it comes to your finance as far as how can I use this to get to to get me to level up if you will. No, um, and actually. what I was going to say is that to to you know prior to your question was when you when you discuss the whole credit card idea for a freshman your financial career is starting then whether you mm-hmm. like it or not Definitely. because you're in the system and you may be getting loans and even with scholarships and things of that nature so you might as well be prepared and start the game early versus waiting until the last minute so where you're gonna need that credit to get that home when you graduate mm-hmm. and etc so I think it's mostly. Having a, a positive money mentality, and then you're able to look at the game of how is this going to work for me versus automatically assuming
2: that it's working against you. No, absolutely, and, and and that's that's an awesome point. Um, and and one one more thing that I'll add to that, um, it's really about knowledge though too, right? Because uh, in order to play a game and to be confident about playing the game, uh, you have to understand the rules of the game. And what usually happens? Those who are afraid um, of the game, those who have had bad experiences with the game is because they didn't really understand the game. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't understand the game. They got into a game that they didn't understand. They messed up their credit and now they're blaming it on credit. They're like, oh, yeah. I'm not doing credit. Mm-hmm. I'm doing everything cash because it's going to mess you over. No, if you understood how it worked, it wouldn't mess you over. And so we internalized their, their 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 pain because they went through pain with their credit, but they didn't fully understand it. So I think anybody, whether it's the person who uses all cash or it's the college student, Understand the game first. Understand how to, but don't jump into it, right? Don't just get a credit card. Don't just start getting debt. But understand how do you play the game. All right, so I think I love it. The time, the you know, it's 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 that time. Yes, we gotta wrap up. But first and foremost, um, I wanna I wanna give a rest in peace. Uh, to Greg Marius Uh, is one of those things that you have to uh, appreciate people as they're here uh, because he literally called me three weeks ago. Um, and I never got a chance to speak to him because he and I uh, were working on a project together. Um, and then he got sick, so we never really finished the project. Um, and literally, I want to say about about three weeks ago, he was you know like regardless of what he was going through, he was always always in great spirits. He's like, "Ask give me a call back." Um, and and uh, yeah, and I and I heard the sad news. So uh, definitely rest in peace to to Greg Marius, uh, EBC, uh, you know friends and family. Just uh, you know salute you know Harlem legend. If you don't know who it is, who he who he is. Uh, Definitely a Harlem legend. Definitely somebody who has uh, poured into a lot of people's lives, uh, especially our youth as it relates to basketball and and other other programs. So uh, salute to, to Greg Marius.
1: And and Charlie Murphy. Charlie Murphy passed, too. Yeah, yeah, he matched Charlie. I didn't know Charlie Murphy though, but no, Charlie Murphy the one. Did, um, no, I, I know. Did I'm Okay, yeah. this is awkward. No, no, that was my guy. Like he was. A, I'm sorry. I just wanted no yeah. worries. He had a special. Well, thank Netflix.
3: you so much. We um, appreciate that. Um, Where guess, can the people find you? Yeah, you can find me at TashimaJones.com. All of my social media and contact information can be found
2: there. And me, I'm Ash Cash. Make sure you visit me, I'm Ash Cash.com. Become my friend on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash I'm Ash Cash. Me, me
1: too. Follow me. I, where, where, they can, where they can find me?
2: Really? Popeyes. Keep, I want
1: to get some chicken later. So if anybody can meet me at 125th, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. What? <laughs> I am Ash.
2: Visit my website. No. <laughs> I am AshCash.com. Till next week. Same time, same place. Peace.
0: Peace. You are now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show. Your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right.